Volume Two, Chapter Seven of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cecilia, Memoirs of Enheiros by Francis Burney, Volume Two, Chapter Seven, An Examination. Cecilia found Mrs. Harrel eagerly waiting to hear some account how she had passed the morning, and fully persuaded that she would leave the Delviles with a determination never more but by necessity to see them. She was therefore not only surprised but disappointed when, instead of fulfilling her expectations, she assured her that she had been delighted with Mrs. Delvile whose engaging qualities amply recompensed her for the arrogance of her husband, that her visit had no fault but that of being too short, and that she had already appointed an early day for repeating it. Mrs. Harrell was evidently hurt by this praise, and Cecilia, who perceived among all her guardians a powerful disposition to hatred and jealousy soon dropped the subject though so much had she been charmed with mrs delvile that a scheme of removal once more occurred to her notwithstanding her dislike of her stately guardian at dinner as usual they were joined by sir robert floyer who grew more and more assiduous in his attendance, but who, this day, contrary to his general custom of remaining with the gentlemen, made his exit before the ladies left the table, and, as soon as he was gone, Mr. Harrel desired a private conference with Cecilia. They went together to the drawing-room, where, after a flourishing preface, upon the merits of sir robert floyer he formally acquainted her that he was commissioned by that gentleman to make her a tender of his heart and fortune cecilia who had not much reason to be surprised at this overture desired him to tell the baronet she was obliged to him for the honour he intended her at the same time that she absolutely declined receiving it mr harrel laughing told her this answer was very well for a beginning though it could by no means serve beyond the first day of the declaration but when cecilia assured him she should firmly adhere to it he remonstrated with equal surprise and discontent upon the reasons of her refusal she thought it sufficient to tell him that sir robert did not please her but with much raillery he denied the assertion credit assuring her that he was universally admired by the ladies that she could not possibly receive a more honourable offer and that he was reckoned by everybody the finest gentleman about the town his fortune he added was equally unexceptionable 
with his figure and his rank in life. All the world, he was certain, would approve the connection, and the settlement made upon her should be dictated by herself. Cecilia begged him to be satisfied with an answer which she never could change, and to spare her the enumeration of particular objections, since Sir Robert was holy and in every respect disagreeable to her. What then, cried he, could make you so frightened for him at the opera house? There has been but one opinion about town ever since of your prepossession in his favour. I am extremely concerned to hear it. My fright was but the effect of surprise, and belonged not more to Sir Robert than to Mr. Belfield. He told her that nobody else thought the same, that her marriage with the baronet was universally expected, and, in conclusion, notwithstanding her earnest desire that he would instantly and explicitly inform Sir Robert of her determination, he repeatedly refused to give him any final answer till she had taken more time for consideration. Cecilia was extremely displeased at this irksome importunity, and still more chagrined to find her incautious emotion at the opera house had given rise to suspicions of her harbouring a partiality for a man whom every day she more heartily disliked. While she was deliberating in what manner she could clear up this mistake, which, after she was left alone, occupied all her thoughts, she was interrupted by the entrance of Mr. Monckton, whose joy in meeting her at length by herself exceeded not her own for charmed as he was that he could now examine into the state of her affairs she was not less delighted that she could make them known to him after mutual expressions guarded however on the part of mr monckton though unreserved on that of cecilia of their satisfaction in being again Able to converse as in former times, he asked if she would permit him, as the privilege of their long acquaintance, to speak to her with sincerity. She assured him she could not more oblige her. Let me then, said he, inquire if yet that ardent confidence in your own steadiness, which so much disdained my fears that the change of your residence might produce a change in your sentiments, is still as unshaken as when we parted in Suffolk, or whether experience that for to unpractised refinement has already taught you the fallibility of theory. When I assure you, replied Cecilia, that your inquiry gives me no pain, I think I have sufficiently answered it, for were I conscious of any alteration, it could not but embarrass and distress me. Very far, however, from finding myself in the danger with which you threatened me of forgetting Bury, its inhabitants, and its environs, I think with pleasure of little else, since London 
instead of bewitching, has greatly disappointed me. How so? cried Mr. Monkton, much delighted. Not, answered she, in itself, not in its magnificence, nor in its diversions, which seem to be inexhaustible, but these, though, copious as instruments of pleasure, are very shallow as sources of happiness. The disappointment, therefore, comes nearer home, and springs not from London, but from my own situation. Is that, then, disagreeable to you? You shall yourself judge, when I have told you that, from the time of my quitting your house, till this very moment, when I have again the happiness of talking with you, I have never once had any conversation, society, or intercourse, in which friendship or affection have had any share, or my mind has had the least interest. She then entered into a detail of her way of life, told him how little suited to her taste was the unbounded dissipation of the heralds, and feelingly expatiated upon the disappointment she had received from the alteration in manners and conduct of her young friend. In her, she continued, had I found the companion I came prepared to meet, the companion from whom I had so lately parted, and in whose society I expected to find consolation for the loss of yours and Mrs. Charlton's, I should have complained of nothing. The very places that now tire might have entertained me, and all that now passes for unmeaning dissipation might then have worn the appearance of variety and pleasure. But where the mind is wholly without interest, everything is languid and insipid, and accustomed as I have long been to think friendship the first of human blessings, and social converse the greatest of human enjoyments, however can I reconcile myself to a state of careless indifference, to making acquaintance without any concern either for preserving or esteeming them, and to going on from day to day in an eager search of amusement, with no companion for the hours of retirement, and no view beyond that of passing the present moment in apparent gaiety and thoughtlessness. Mr. Monkton, who heard these complaints with secret rapture, far from seeking to soften or remove, used his utmost endeavours to strengthen and increase them, by artfully retracing her former way of life, and pointing out with added censures the change in it she had been lately compelled to make. A change, he continued, which, though ruinous of your time and detrimental to your happiness, use well, I fear, familiarize, and familiarity renders pleasant. These suspicions, sir, said Cecilia, mortify me greatly, and why, when far from finding me pleased, you hear nothing but repining, should you still continue to harbour them? Because your trial has yet been too short to prove your firmness, and because there is nothing to which time cannot contently accustom us. I feel not much fear, said Cecilia, of standing such a test 
as might fully satisfy you. But, nevertheless, not to be too presumptuous, I have by no means exposed myself to all the dangers which you think surround me, for of late I have spent almost every evening at home and by myself. This intelligence was to Mr. Monckton a surprise the most agreeable he could receive. Her distaste for the amusements which are offered her greatly relieved his fears of her forming any alarming connection, and the discovery that while so anxiously he had sought her everywhere in public, she had quietly passed her time by her own fireside, not only reassured him for the present, but gave him information where he might meet with her in future. He then talked of the duel, solicitously led her to speak openly of Sir Robert Floyer, and here too his satisfaction was entire. He found her dislike of him, such as his knowledge of her disposition made him expect, and she wholly removed his suspicions concerning her anxiety about the quarrel by explaining to him her apprehensions of having occasioned it herself from accepting the civility of Mr. Belfield at the very moment she shewed her aversion to receiving that of Sir Robert. Neither did her confidence rest here. She acquainted him with the conversation she had just had with Mr. Harrell, and begged his advice in what manner she might secure herself from future importunity. Mr. Monckton had now a new subject for his discernment. Everything had confirmed to him the passion which Mr. Arnott had conceived for Cecilia, and he had therefore concluded the interest of the Harrells would be all in his favour. Other ideas now struck him. He found that Mr. Arnott was given up for Sir Robert, and he determined carefully to watch the motions both of the baronet and her young guardian, in order to discover the nature of their plans and connection. Meantime, convinced by her unaffected aversion to the proposals she had received, that she was at present in no danger from the league he suspected, he merely advised her to persevere in manifesting a calm repugnance to their solicitations, which could not fail before long to dishearten them both. But, sir, cried Cecilia, I now fear this man as much as I dislike him, for his late fairness and brutality, though they have increased my disgust, make me dread to shew it. I am impatient, therefore, to have done with him, and to see him no more, and for this purpose I wish to quit the house of Mr. Harrell, where he has access at his pleasure. You can wish nothing more judiciously, cried he. Would you then return into the country? That is not yet in my power. I am obliged to reside with one of my guardians. Today I have seen Mrs. Delvile, and Mrs. Delvile interrupted Mr. Monckton in a voice of astonishment. 
Surely you do not think of removing into that family? What can I do so well? Mrs. Delvile is a charming woman, and her conversation would afford me more entertainment and instruction in a single day than under this roof I should obtain in a twelve-month. Are you serious? Do you really think of making such a change? I really wish it, but I know not yet if it is practicable. On Thursday, however, I am to dine with her, and then, if it is in my power, I will hint to her my desire. And can Miss Beverley possibly wish, cried Mr. Monckton with earnestness, to reside in such a house? Is not Mr. Delvile the most ostentatious, haughty, and self-sufficient of men? Is not his wife the proudest of women? And is not the whole family odious to all the world? You amaze me, cried Cecilia. Surely that cannot be their general character? Mr. Delvile, indeed, deserves all the censure he can meet for his wearisome parade of superiority, but his lady by no means merits to be included in the same reproach. I have spent this whole morning with her, and though I waited upon her with a strong prejudice in her disfavour, I observed in her no pride that exceeded the bounds of propriety and native dignity. Have you often been at the house? Do you know the son, too? I have seen him three or four times. And what do you think of him? I hardly know enough of him to judge fairly. But what does he seem to you? Do you not perceive in him already all the arrogance, all the contemptuous insolence of his father? Oh, no, far from it, indeed. His mind seems to be liberal and noble, open to impressions of merit, and eager to honour and promote it. You are much deceived. You have been reading your own mind, and though you had read his, I would advise you sedulously to avoid the whole family. You will find all intercourse with them irksome and comfortless, such as the father appears at once, the wife and the son will, in a few more meetings, appear also. They are descended from the same stock, and inherit the same self complacency. Mr. Delvile married his cousin, and each of them instigates the other to believe that all birth and rank would be at an end in the world if their own superb family had not a promise of support from their hopeful Mortimer. Should you precipitately settle yourself in their house, you would very soon be totally weighed down by their united insolence. Cecilia again, and warmly attempted to defend them. But Mr. Monckton was so positive in his assertions and so significant in his insinuations to their discredit that she was at length persuaded she had judged too hastily, and, after thanking him for his counsel, promised not to take any measures towards a removal without his advice. This was all he desired, and now, enlivened by finding that his influence with her was unimpaired, and that her heart was yet her own, 
he ceased his exhortations and turned the discourse to subjects more gay and general judiciously cautious neither by tedious admonitions to disgust nor by fretful solitude to alarm her he did not quit her till the evening was far advanced and then in returning to his own house felt all his anxieties and disappointments recompensed by the comfort this long and satisfactory conversation had afforded him while cecilia charmed with having spent the morning with her new acquaintances and the evening with her old friend retired to rest better pleased with the disposal of her time than she had yet been since her journey from suffolk End of chapter seven